Welcome to the podcast, you people.、Uh, my name is Paul. If this is your first time, this is the podcast about faith, Bible, society, and everything else in between.、Uh, this uh, afternoon, my great friend Antonio Ortiz is here to have a chit chat with us about a very fascinating topic that I myself am very interested in,、uh, which is the topic about you know. You know, interacting, reading, and studying the Bible without any faith commitment, and that is <laughs>、uh, an aspect of you know biblical studies that you know is not really often spoken about because you know for the most part you know people think about、um, biblical studies as you know sort of attached to faith, but he thinks very differently about it, and I think that we will all learn、um, great things from him. So let's go to Antonio and、uh, learn from his reflections. And from his from his experience.、Um, so thank you for、um, hanging out with me on Saturday this this morning. It's truly, truly a joy. It is truly, truly a pleasure. I'm so excited to be out here. I loved.、Uh, The very first episode、yes. that I got to hear as、yes. a part of our class experience,、yes. and like the moment you asked, I was like, absolutely, <laughs> I would absolutely love to be involved, and I am so glad that I、uh, get to be here with you on Saturday and get to talk. Awesome, awesome.、Uh, I'm sure listeners would want to know a, just a little bit about you as much as is needed for the purposes of the discussion today,、uh, but more on your journey with the Bible. I think that's、uh, an important uh, part in、uh, a preface to the conversation we're going to have. So, definitely.、Um, so,、uh, my name is Antonio Ganzi Ortiz,、mm-hmm. um, and I currently go to Yale Divinity School. Where、mm-hmm. in seventy-two days from us recording, oh my god, I will、coming. be graduating. Nobody's、coming. counting. Nobody's <laughs> counting. I promise. I promise. <laughs>、um, while here, I decided that、uh, much of my time was going to be focused on studying the Hebrew Bible,、mm-hmm. um, especially in its sort of like、uh, historical. Cultural contexts,、mm-hmm. right?、Um, while also applying <clears throat> various types of things like postcolonial theory, queer theory, very, various types of、um, mm-hmm. academic analysis tools and theories to try and understand what exactly was going on.、Mm-hmm. And so, your question about like my journey with the Bible is a part about my journey to get here to divinity school, right? right?、Mm-hmm. So, growing up. Right, I'm I'm Latino. There's a lot of cultural Catholicism that、mm-hmm. exists,、um, that is sort of inseparable from my identity. But I wouldn't necessarily call that a relationship with the Bible. I wasn't raised as a Christian,、mm-hmm. um, and today I am a practicing Buddhist.、Mm-hmm. Right, so for me. The Bible itself is not my faith text,、mm-hmm. right? It doesn't figure into necessarily how I view the world, right? But it does affect so many people. Oh my god! <laughs> and it does affect so much history、yeah. and so much culture,、yeah. including my culture, which I can't, you know,、uh, unseparate. Right?、Yes. There is there is a way that even though. The Bible isn't my faith text.、Mm-hmm. It has shaped and formed me because I live in a world、mm-hmm. shaped and formed by, by the Bible. By the Bible, that's so brilliant, right?、Um, and so I'm fascinated by that,、yeah. and I'm fascinated by storytelling. Yes,、um, narrative and storytelling are so important to. 
the formation of community mm-hmm. to the perseverance of um, different peoples throughout time and space, mm-hmm. especially during um, I- incredible times of strife and warfare, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And like, to me, that's what the Bible is a testament to more than anything else, right? right? Is a people, especially the Hebrew Bible, yeah. uh, the Jewish people, mm-hmm. uh, speaking and writing themselves into the history of the world yeah. and into existence. Into existence. Right? They, they make themselves through storytelling, and the stories are so powerful yeah. and so deeply culturally embedded yeah. that... The Jewish people have survived, you know, 2,500 years, which has included uh, some of the most sort of horrible events in human history, yeah. right? Um, not the least of which is the Holocaust oh, in, yeah. the, in the 30s mm-hmm. and 40s, right? Um, and so you have these incredibly powerful stories, and then Christianity takes up these stories mm-hmm. and becomes a, a global religion, <laughs> Right, and all of the good and bad stuff that is included in being a global religion—everything from you know revolutionary movements, oh my god, yeah, to straight up imperialism—and all of that is there, and all of that touches the Bible. And so, for me, talking about the Bible and talking about the stories and trying to tease out. Not just content, but method is so important to me because I think that we learn so much, especially for me as a non-faith reader, Mm -hmm. I learn so much from the method of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yeah, very, very fascinating story, truly. I'm sure people will be curious about what, what that journey has been for you, right? Because, like, I wouldn't say most, but definitely a majority of people um, come to the study of the Bible first by encountering it from a faith perspective, right? And and so I'm sure you were studying the Bible alongside people who have experiences that are different from yours, right? They are they are looking they they came into the field you know from a faith perspective. In fact, you are studying at a Christian majority Christian divinity yes, school, yes. right? <laughs> <laughs> and you are not. You are here because you see the the importance and the power and the influence of Bible on culture, contemporary culture, and you want to be able to understand the world in which you live. And studying the Bible is one of those. But there are people here, or people in your class, or people you are meeting on the corridors of your school, and yes. they are doing it for different purposes. How you know before before we get into the details of you know reading it from a faith perspective and all of that, how has that experience been for you studying the Bible around? people who do it uh, far from what you do? So, uh, in many ways, I have been particularly fortunate in that I have surrounded myself with really, really good people, Mm. right? And so, in some sense, it doesn't matter if those people are approaching it from uh, a sort of non-faith perspective or from a faith perspective, Because they're all really great people, yes. and so I have been able to have, like with you, oh just these these incredible, wonderful conversations, yeah. right? Yeah. And that is not always the case, yes. and it's not always the case on both sides of that, right? You have these sort of very, um, you see them on the internet all the time. These militant 
anti-theists, right? People who are like, I hate the Bible and I hate, and anybody who looks at the Bible and even reads it, even for like historical context, they're dumb. Yeah. And it's like, no, I'm good. (laughs) I'm not trying to hang out with you, right? And then you have folks who are like, well, this is the one true text. And if you disagree with my particular reading of it, you're going to hell. And Boom. I don't want to hang. I don't want to hang out with those people either. <laughs> yeah. And I've been really, really fortunate that um, even being in a, as you say, right, a, a Christian seminary, mm-hmm. um, which is Christian majority, where most of the folks around me are coming to it from a faith perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been so fortunate that all of those people want to engage me, yeah. right, and, and want to talk across. Uh, the word we use here, right? The lines of difference, right? Just because, just because we come from from different, you know, social backgrounds or ethnicities or approaches, faith traditions and approaches to text, we still have ways in which we can communicate. And so, um, I have been particularly fortunate to be around really great and wonderful people. Oh um, and so, neither my non-traditional non-faith approach nor their traditional faith approaches have ever been a problem in us having dialogue yeah which i also recognize is not true to everyone's experience right i'm solely talking about my experience of which i'm incredibly fortunate yes yes uh you use important words here use dialogue great human beings don't we all need that in the world like uh, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh my god yeah great so um what then does it look like to care about the bible to read it um and to think about it from a non-faith perspective you know you have mentioned you describe yourself as a practicing buddhist and it's like it's a religion that is not anywhere near the Bible, right? And uh, but you care about the Bible for other cultural reasons that are strongly, convincingly powerful and truly relevant. So, what does it then look like, and how does it? Uh, what does it mean, right? Even mm-hmm. to do it the way you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I would say that I have two fundamental approaches, Mm -hmm. right? And one of them, as I sort of hinted at earlier, has to deal with method. Mm -hmm. And I want to actually get to that one second. Good. (laughs) The first one has to deal with the sort of more grounded, quotation marks with my fingers, uh, (laughs) uh, political analysis of the Bible. Okay, yeah, right? I'm interested in and, that. And, yeah. and in part, that is because, like... Okay, so, one of my main focuses is uh, the harem narrative. And mm-hmm. for people who are unfamiliar, harem is a word uh, that is particularly difficult to translate in the Hebrew Bible, um, but it comes up in Deuteronomy and in Joshua, and it is essentially... Uh, narratively, that the genocide command, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you are to go into this land, mm-hmm. and all of the people who are there that God is going to, your God is going to have you force them out, yeah. and you harem them, yeah, right. That language mm-hmm. 
and the language of liberation yeah. that is found in the book of Exodus, mm-hmm. right? Of God leading an enslaved people out of Egypt. That's right. Those are two incredibly powerful political statements. Mm-hmm. So 1949, mm-hmm. uh, David Ben-Gurion, the first prime minister of Israel, right? They've just had the Arab-Israeli war, and uh, Israel was successful. And in 1949, he's directly comparing the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, mm-hmm. to the conquest of Joshua. Mm-hmm. And he's directly drawing mm-hmm. from the language yes. and the ideas, and this becomes so, so important to early Israel and early Zionism, yes. right? A year later, uh-huh. right, in Africa, uh-huh. Kwame Nkrumah, yeah. right, is being described by the evening news as the messenger of destiny who lead, who uh, goes before us in a pillar of fire. My God. That's Exodus 13. That is. Yeah. Right? Those are two incredibly powerful political movements yeah. that have shaped the whole second half of the 20th century yeah. and the beginning of the 21st century, yeah, right? Yeah. The independence movement that starts in Ghana that, mm-hmm. that fuels African liberation, mm-hmm. right? And the role of Israel, Israel, right? And both of those things are directly tied to biblical imagery yes. and biblical references yes. and using the Bible and storytelling to remake yeah. creation yes. today. Yeah. Not just historically, not yeah, just God yeah, yeah. making now, creation, yeah, right? Yeah. But, but us yes. recreating yeah. the narratives and the stories and the truth necessary to operate in the world. Yeah. And so that's directly tied to my second thing about yeah. method, method yeah. right? Which is that for me, the content of the Bible is less important than its construction Mm -hmm. in some sense. So Mm -hmm. when the Bible says something like, don't wear clothing of mixed fibers, Mm -hmm. right? Or says something like, uh, a man should not lie with a man Mm -hmm. as he lies with a woman, Mm -hmm. right? Both of those things, Mm -hmm. as as moral instructions, mean nothing to me personally Mm -hmm. in content. Mm -hmm. But how they ended up in the text how they ended up next to each other, yeah. how the stories in Genesis, right? The creation of, the, of mankind is yeah. so important. And so we have one story where man and woman are created at the same time of the same stuff, yeah. completely equal. Yeah. And immediately after oh that, God. next chapter. Like three seconds after. Like <laughs> right there, next chapter, it's woman was created from man's rib. Right? Yeah. Those are two radically different positions on the equality of the sexes. Yes. Of where we come from. That's right. And they're both there. And to quote our our professor, right, Joel Baden, they are equally true and equally biblical, according to the biblical standard. And so what do you do with that? What do you do with that? And so to me, when I'm talking about I want to investigate method, it's why did these things get put together? Mm Mm-hmm. Because that matters. Mm-hmm. And how do we keep, how do we see how Deuteronomy retells Exodus? Mm-hmm. And how do we see how Joshua retells Deuteronomy? And, and on and on and on. Yeah. And not my field of expertise, but how the New Testament mm-hmm. retells aspects of the Hebrew Bible, right? right? That's the same thing mm-hmm. as 
uh, you know, the messenger of destiny, yeah. like walking before us, before us in a pillar of fire, fire right? right? So all of those things come together for me as a non-faith reader as being incredibly important mm-hmm. because it's about how people make meaning in the world mm-hmm. and it's about how we can construct a better world together better Mm. right yeah yeah what i'm getting here is you can still do a lot of cool stuff oh yeah with with the bible and think about a lot of cool things without necessarily being a faith person with the Bible, right? And a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are beginners. And they are the people that I'm trying to focus on. People who will never go to seminary, people who will never sit in a classroom, people who will probably even never read any academic standard textbook on the Bible, but they still care about the Bible for some reason. And, you know, maybe, maybe thinking, oh yeah, you need to be involved in the faith to be able to make meaning out of this. What you're showing us is like an alternative but and a fascinating alternative that you can still do these like cool things and think cool thoughts and make a contribution to humanity and to the world without necessarily being a faith person, right? I, it, it, uh, faith, well, let me clarify the faith thing, like like a faith person in terms of like, being a Christian or a Jew or like yes. you know a, any of those like religions that has something directly to do with the Bible. That's what I mean by that. Yes, right. Totally. Um, I think there's so much that can be done and is done mm-hmm. with the it Bible, is done, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And both, you know, I'm talking really positively yeah. because, like, ultimately, my goal in life, right, and my my core religious commitment as a Buddhist yeah. is the liberation of all beings from suffering, right? Like that's that's point one of of my personal religious commitment. That's right. I recognize that the Bible is also used for horrible things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right now. Yeah, right now. Yeah. Including by people who do not have faith commitments. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. We like to think, I think, um, that there is this thing where only like fundamentalist christians or fundamentalist jews or um you know these these types of groups use the bible for for bad stuff perhaps right um speaking from an american context and from a very liberal university where we go right (laughs) i recognize that there there's a people who who very much do not agree with me on on that position um but like Vladimir Putin, mm-hmm. who is probably not a, a deeply committed Christian based on um, yeah. many of his, his, his former comments, yeah. um, still today is using the Bible yeah. to justify aspects of, of the war in U- Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, the Bible is operative yeah. in the world. Yes. It is not just yeah. a dead book. Yeah. And that's what makes it um, really, really powerful and really, really important, mm-hmm. I think, for folks to engage in. Mm-hmm. And I think you can do that 
from almost any perspective. Mm-hmm. I think you could do that if you want to say you're like a like a Marxist or if you want to say that you are, you know, a very conservative mm-hmm. um, fundamentalist Christian or if you want to say, mm-hmm. you know, that you are deeply committed to liberal values and democracy and yeah. like from any perspectives, That's you right. can pick up the Bible and you can do stuff with oh, it. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, and so I think that that's also an invitation for us, even as folks who don't use the Bible um, from a faith perspective, religiously, mm-hmm. to also do stuff with it. Yeah. Right? If there was anything that I could say to listeners mm-hmm. about, like, should I or shouldn't I be doing Of course you should. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, pick it up and do things with it because it, it impacts and intersects it with does. your life it in does. so many ways, yeah, yeah, yeah. even if that is unwanted. Mm-hmm. Right. And and that can be really difficult. And um, I think in times of difficulty, it's really important to be working through these questions with community, with yeah. people that you trust. Yeah. Right. And that doesn't necessarily sometimes, hopefully, yeah. that is your family yeah. or your neighborhood or yeah. your friends. Right. Hopefully you have a community like that where you can work through those questions in a supportive environment. Right. But sometimes you don't. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that you have to come to Yale and go to seminary with a bunch of liberal Christians to find that, right? You can find that. They do exist out there in the world. um, Online and in person, right? But finding people Mm -hmm. is always better, in my opinion, than trying to, like, suffer alone. Yeah. Right? And... um, that's how we get eisegesis, yes. right? Where you're not exegeting texts, yes. um, but you're just like, nope, I think this, and I'm going to find yeah. the the ways in which I can make the Bible support me, yeah. right? That's So um, to define eisegesis, right? That's, <laughs> right yeah. that's basically what eisegesis that's is. What is that? yeah. <laughs> Whereas exegesis is when you are um, communicating with lots of outside sources right. and talking to them and like coming to an idea right. about what the Bible is saying, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, both of those things are, are really different. And I would say that for me, exegesis is a much more important thing (laughs) than eisegesis. Right, right. Well, my God, I'm learning a lot. Um, But let's talk about um, access, right? Accessibility. Um, The the economy of biblical studies sort of has a way of creating these, like, imaginary borders around the knowledge, um, you know, accessible in the Bible with all these, like, highly uh, boarded language and jargon and, you know, method. We talked about method too, right? Method. Do, do And we've talked about this a little bit in some of the writings that you've also done mm-hmm. and the way you think about the Bible. And it sounds to me as though like you are slightly bothered by that, <laughs> as I am. <laughs> yes. So let's talk about accessibility um, and going to seminary, getting educated, and so on and so forth, versus, like, I'm just interested. I don't need seminary. I don't need all of that. But unfortunately, a lot of the great books are reading in academic jargon that you may not be able to understand. So what do you think? Like, let's just speak broadly into that world of accessibility. Yeah. um, 
not only are there these uh, imaginary borders, right? There are these very real ones. Oh my god! Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, it costs a lot of money. Yeah. To be a part of academia. Yeah. On purpose. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Academic books are incredibly expensive by academic publishers. Mm-hmm. On purpose. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. there are economic reasons mm-hmm. why information mm-hmm. is held and contained, yeah. mm. and that is goes back throughout the history of the religions right. that use the Bible, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And we could talk about, you know, Galileo in the, you know, uh, in Italy. We could talk about, uh, you know, medieval Europe, but not just there, right? Always. Yes. I, even in the stories in the Bible themselves, yes, there is siloing of information. Some people get certain revelations, that's right, and some people don't. Don't get. Oh they don't get them. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, and it is really hard mm-hmm. as somebody who has been essentially reared and brought up <laughs> in the academy yeah. for me to say like, "Oh, I'm gonna like talk." You know, I've tried to use the least amount of jargon that I've could. Oh my god! And it's jargon filled. My whole <laughs> everything that I've said, I, I realize as I'm talking, I'm like, wow, like I'm still you using just like the same language. I just like can't can't escape it mm-hmm. in some sense. Um, and that's really difficult. And that <sighs> fixing that, mm-hmm. which I think is important, because I think that that is a problem. Yeah. Um, fixing that is. A grand communal endeavor. Yeah. It means rethinking education. Yeah. Right? Like the whole thing. Um, and, and we see in some ways how certain types of scholars are trying to do that. Yeah. Um, outside of biblical studies, I think one of the most incredible scholars who um, does did anything right was bell hooks Mm -hmm. who was writing on pedagogy Mm -hmm. were just like so accessible right right um so jargon free and it's hard it's really really hard to write like bell hooks um and there 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 are other ways uh in which the sort of material um things are being brought down where you know uh certain scholars are trying to publish more um, free and open stuff, right? Right. Where it's not behind paywalls and things. Mm -hmm. Um, But those also don't solve these invisible borders that you've talked about, right? The ways in which like language itself constricts us and, and puts us into um, different categories and different ways of being and thinking. Um, Willie Jennings, another professor Willie from Jennings, yeah. our uh, yeah, yeah. our wonderful Divinity School, um, has just written this incredible book called After Whiteness yes. about theological education, yes. right? And he talks about um, how the idealized uh, white rational subject, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I have an econ degree mm-hmm. before coming to divinity school. Mm-hmm. I would call that homo economicus, mm-hmm. right? The, <laughs> to use the jargon term, the, the perfect ideal man, right? Yeah. And it's a white guy, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. conceptually, oh my God. like yeah. in the field, yeah. Yeah. even though we don't say it, yes. 
the perfect idealized scholar is still this white dude who has uh, possession, control, and mastery. Those are the three characteristics Mm -hmm. that Jennings says Mm -hmm. defines whiteness in the academy. And how we get past that and like how we like exercise that demon, which oh is like the, the the language of Jennings, is a question. Yeah. And one that I hope that like we're working on. Yeah. Um and also mm-hmm. the only way I think that that happens is through the radical reshaping of to use the Marxist phrase, the material conditions, right? Like, if you can't come here, then you are, you know, being, uh, for financial reasons, like, there's an exclusion that is happening. Yeah, I think that's the... And until, like, everyone can have access, Mm -hmm. you don't see things change. But what we've seen over the last 20 and 30 years as things like... um, Post-colonial studies have mm-hmm. come into the field. Queer studies have come into the field. Disability studies mm-hmm. have come into the field, right? When more types of people mm-hmm. come and engage in scholarship, right? Mm-hmm. They see different things. They do. And so I think in part getting rid of the invisible boundaries is deeply connected to getting rid of the like actual real physical the real ones. ones yeah um bringing in more people right diversifying this is a whole conversation about multiracializing biblical studies mm-hmm. and all of that decentering whiteness and you know taking all these like uh, intentional steps to actually break down these barriers the sbl which uh-huh. um the society of biblical literature which is the big academic journal in our um our academic field, field um just put out a call for papers mm-hmm. um, for asking women why more women don't do traditional criticism. Mm. And the implication in the way the call was is that um, that they're uninterested in doing historical criticism. Right. Now, for people who are more familiar with the field and, and familiar with, with many of these people, it's in fact what happens is... Yeah is these people are doing historical criticism, but they are bringing to the forefront questions of gender and race and sexuality and ethnicity. And suddenly, because like those are topics that are relevant today and not just 2,500 years ago. It is not. It's not historical. It's not (laughs) traditional. And it's like, no, that's not true at all. You guys just like are so resistant to anybody telling you that you could do anything else. And that's all framed by language. Mm -hmm. And that's all framed by power structures and things in power. And so like, uh, yeah, very long rambling answer to your question. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I mean, it's a long conversation to be had. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you you did good by talking about a, I like that phrase, a communal grand effort, I think, you know, in terms of moving towards solving this problem of access. Because that's what we need. Like, we, we I don't know if we're going to get a Superman in the field who is just going to, like, all of a sudden, you know, revolutionize everything and then like you know problem solved 
it's gonna take time it's gonna take hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people students you know non-students whatever people doing all kinds of things over a long period of time for us to be able to get there and so like i like that it's a you know it's a good vision for us and i'm glad that you you casted that so well i also because you say non-students i i want to say that um the work that you listener might be doing mm-hmm. when you read the Bible by yourself mm-hmm. or in a study group or at church, mm-hmm. all of that is equally legitimate and meaningful and important yeah. to the conversation yes. about the meaning of the Bible. Yeah. You in fact don't need a seminary degree, degree or a PhD yeah. or whatever to open up the Bible and be like, I just read this psalm and it stirred something in me. Yeah. It 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 moved me. Yeah. It it made me think about the world differently. Yeah. Or it made me think about this other passage of the Bible differently. Yeah. Like all of that mm-hmm. that's legitimate meaningful engagement with the text. That's right? That's and something. that's just as an important part of the grand communal project yeah. as anything that like some sort of hoity-toity academic <laughs> who yeah. you know needs to like go and present uh, at some academic conference is doing right. Yeah. Both of those things are equally important, yeah. um, and it's about doing them well. It is about right, doing well, yeah, because the the academic hesitancy mm-hmm. toward non-academics doing stuff with the Bible is. Well, you don't know anything yeah. because you haven't been trained in X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And that's nonsense. That, that because I have read plenty of academic papers written by people oh who God. are incredibly <laughs> educated. And I'm just like, this is nonsense. This is complete and utter nonsense. <laughs> and it's and it's and it shouldn't have been published. Yeah. And so like I wanna be very, very clear yeah. that academic um credentialing does not under any circumstances mean uh authority or quality when it comes to the research even though like we say it should in our culture and the way we've designed academia and like no like some of the greatest uh i mean Look at the Apostle Paul. Look at the Apostle Paul. <laughs> right? The Apostle Paul does some of the most incredible exegesis yeah. of the biblical text. And sure, Paul is an educated person. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. But Paul is still doing stuff without, like, the internet. Yeah. Or, like, you know, knowledge of every sort of yeah. Mesopotamian... Whatever. Uh, yeah. whatever right? I, I don't think the Apostle Paul knew cuneiform. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like that's okay yeah. he still did some really good exegesis that was really important and meaningful to lots of people yeah. and you should too yeah. even if you don't go to seminary yeah. if you care about the bible and want to do stuff with it yeah. you should yeah. just don't be harmful to others that's right right don't yeah. don't use it as a way to to hurt people yeah. as long as it is not that yeah Cosine, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> That's very empowering because sometimes people, you know, tend to put 
all these expectations on themselves like I love this thing I want to study about it I don't have money to go to school I don't have a degree you know what authority do I have to make a claim like you know we're always looking for these external validation through like institutions and degrees and things like that to affirm what we think and uh, have read or believe about the, about the Bible or anything in the world. And what you're saying is mm, you don't necessarily need that. Right? You don't need it. As long as you can do some decent, uh, good, humble thinking and contribute something to the world that is not going to harm people, you are contributing to the the entire progress of the world in a way uh, that is effective mm-hmm. and you should be proud of that yes don't kill people with the bible <laughs> <coughs> please 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 don't kill people with the bible but if you are doing good things and you are working in community with people right you're not yeah. just doing uh, eisegesis and you're not trying to go out and hurt people yeah like it's all good and it's all valid yeah it's like that's important work yeah. and you should be doing it if you feel called to do it so, so let's um, end with um, maybe just general advice, but mm. if you can include some resources, some sources, some like people that have helped form the way you think about the world and the Bible and where people can go and find, uh, you know, help mm-hmm. if they need mm-hmm. like, in intellectual inter- interlocutors. Uh, people they can think along with websites even twitter yeah. handles whatever like whatever sources that people can go and find help yeah um so many of the folks that i will probably name as as being influential and, and meaningful to yeah. me right are going to be constrained by a couple of things one they're going to be in english uh-huh. because english yeah. is my primary working language right. um I do now know some ancient Hebrew, uh, but uh, most of the scholarship that I engage with is is English, um, and so I know for a fact that there is incredible stuff going on in all sorts of different languages, right? There's incredible stuff going on in Chinese. China has the largest, fastest-growing Christian community in the world. Um, and so there's some I- incredible stuff going on there. There's um, some incredible stuff going on in Spanish and, and coming out of um, Latin America. There's incredible stuff coming out of, uh, in French, uh, especially out of the African continent. Um, so saying all of that, yeah. uh, I, w- one of the things that I would advise is that um, uh, making really, really good use of search engines yeah. is really important. And knowing how to do that is kind of hard yeah. because if you just go and you type in like Bible and da da da, right, yeah. you're going to get like all of this uh, stuff because everybody wants to talk about the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be helpful to use websites that are maybe tailored towards scholarship if what you're interested in is scholarship right right understanding that that is not everyone's interest Mm -hmm. um but going and typing something into google scholar as opposed to regular google is going to get you really really different types of results that's right um Professor Joel Baden here at Yale Divinity School has been really incredible um 
an, an incredible influence on the way that I think about the biblical text. Um, I really hope you get to bring him on your podcast if you have not he already. He will. Like, yeah, my advisor definitely has to be here at some point. Yes, we'll yes. Um, I, so uh, he also happens to have a lot of videos on YouTube he where does. he yes. um, has talked to people sort of everywhere from like really highly technical stuff to mm-hmm. stuff that is like more intended towards a lay person. Yes. Um, and so I think that there's a lot of diversity in his videos and uh, his videos because of the way YouTube algorithms work will also help lead you to sort of other folks who I think are yes. really great. Um, Francesca uh, Stavrakupalu mm-hmm. just released a book last year called God and Anatomy, mm-hmm. um, which I think is just one of the most interesting, fun books. Yeah. And I think especially for folks who come from um, a non-European, non-North American context, right. right, where I would say that um, embodiment and magic and the fantastical aspects of um, world building are like just still more rooted and important. Yeah. Um, speaking very much from a Latino background where in my culture, that is the case. It is, yeah. um, her book, which is written for general audiences, um, really tries to establish how the God of the Hebrew Bible is like a real, like, god god and and not just like a not just um (laughs) uh, like an uh like an ethereal thing but something with flesh and blood and personality in a way that uh gods of indigenous peoples and african peoples like historically have been right and so like i find that book really really powerful because it gives a different perspective on what you might be reading in the Hebrew Bible Mm -hmm. because your faith tradition might have told you that like, oh, well, when it describes God as this, like really that's just like a metaphor or something. And uh, what she does in her book, God and Anatomy is like really drilling on like, no, like they believed that, you know, Mm -hmm. the God of the Hebrew Bible, whose proper name is Yahweh, Mm -hmm. uh, like had red skin, yeah. Had giant hands, yeah. Had you know, a, like a body that filled a whole temple, right. right? Like a real, like flesh and blood right. God yeah, yeah, yeah. in in a way that, um, as a Latino, like that just had a lot of impact on me, yeah. and I think that that's just a really, really great book, yes. Um, and would highly recommend it. Um, awesome listening to more of this podcast this yeah. one this, this one, one. Right here. Uh, but don't 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 tell paul i said that <laughs> awesome yeah uh thank you so much antonio for coming up uh, i hope it was good i really i really enjoyed it. this is fascinating this is great uh thank you for sharing it like you know, so tellingly your personal story, the way you think about the world, the perspectives you have to offer, the questions you ask. It's all beautiful. Like, I have learned a lot, and I know people have also learned a lot, um, and they will learn a lot if you if they listen to this podcast closely. So thank you very much for coming. I'm sure we should do a, a part two on, on something else. There's, there's more, right? <laughs> I, I would love to. Please, please, please. Awesome. awesome. Thank you very much for coming by, and thank you, folks, for listening. Um, we will see you in another other podcast. Uh, Bye-bye.